0: All right, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path. I'm your host, Howard Sides. We're going to pick up today uh, in continuing this letter to the church at Thyatira. Uh, We had to stop in the middle of doing some of the history behind it and uh, run out of time there, so I'll pick up on that and then we'll get into the letter uh, to the church as it is. Now, we've been talking a little about the history uh, of, of the culture and and uh, the politics, that sort of thing. Well, as a matter of fact, we've, we've covered the economics and the culture part. We're going to get into the politics today. And in, in discussing the politics, uh, one key element to that is to remember that this um, city came about as the result of the breakup of uh, the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great's Grecian Empire. Uh, when Alexander the Great died, uh, he had four top generals, uh, Ptolemy, Seleucus, Lysimachus, and Cassander. That were the four generals. And so they divided the land among them. And eventually, inevitably, there's going to be fighting going on. That's just the way it is. Uh, As pretty much of the land grab side of it, Seleucus comes out the golden angel. (laughs) I mean, there's no way of looking around. Uh, Ptolemy, uh, uh, he uh, took the area of Egypt and Lebanon, Israel, all of that area. Uh, Seleucus took from Jordan up to Syria, up to Turkey, then uh, going east, he got Iraq, Iran, parts of Pakistan, parts of Pac- uh, Afghanistan. I mean, he had a large volume of area. Now, of course, Ptolemy having Egypt, that was a pretty impressive land grab there. But anyway, uh, Cassander had pretty much the area around home. Uh, he took part of Greece and, and a little bit north of that. Lysimachus was to the uh, all of the land between Cassander and Seleucus. Okay, so that kind of gives you a generic idea of, of, of where these generals were. Uh, now, of course, the uh, the beginning of it all is, of course, with the death of Alexander. Now, as one single ruler, everything's copacetic because you have one ruler making all the rules. Well, now there's four, and one's not going to be outdone by the other. Uh, so uh, they all are uh, battling for uh, supremacy, or ownership, if you will. <clears throat> now, uh, we've mentioned it before, but Thyatira, uh, in reference again, was a city right in the middle point between two opposing forces, and thus became the all important dominating factor for control in the area. Now, the two opposing forces were uh, the cities of Pergamos and Syria. Pergamos belonged uh, to Lysimachus to the north, uh, Syria belonged to Seleucus to the east. It was also due to the Imperial Post uh, Road, the Imperial Post Road. Emperor Augustine created the Imperial Post Road, which was a stretch of road all the way from Rome that went up through Troas, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and on to points in the east. So it was basically a military highway, Uh, just like in Germany when, when you hear about the Audubon, uh, they didn't create that thing just so cars could run 150 miles an hour out there wide open. It was actually created, I believe, during World War II. Pretty sure. Uh, but anyway, it was created by Hitler for uh, quick removal of military forces. So uh, it wasn't built just to be a highway. It was built for military purposes. And that, that's what this Imperial Post Road was. Now, this was a Roman state-run courier. Uh, and, and it served as a uh, transportation, again, for the military of the Roman Empire. Now, control of this road by way of Thyatira would control the entire region. Remember, I told you that uh, uh, in the last uh, lesson that Thyatira was in this valley. There was no way of going around it. I, I mean, there was a way, but you were talking about a serious loss of time in doing so. So, Thyatira was incredibly important to control who went through. Uh, Thyatira fell under control of Pergamos, uh, around 190 BC. In 133 BC, King Attalus III of Pergamos died and left his dominion to the control of Rome. Rome was slow to take control, uh, and this fellow named Aristonicus, who claimed to be the illegitimate son of the earlier, Pergamene king Eumenes II filled the power vacuum and took the name Eumenes III. So, if nobody's going to take it, I'll take it, basically is what happened. <laughs> uh, this rebellious move against Rome, uh, and that's what it actually was, Rome moved slow because they didn't really think it was that insignificant until somebody stood up and said, well, if you don't want it, I'll take it. Well, then, then it became an important issue. So, it was a rebellious move, and it caught Thyatira right in the middle. And they basically faced invasion after invasion after invasion due to that uh, system of war. <clears throat> now, this natural position of weakness actually forced the kingdom that it guarded to continually fortify and maintain the military strength of Thy- Thyatira. And we've mentioned this over and over again. Uh, and and that's just the way it was. It was the guard uh, to uh, the... Uh, um, the powerful city as it was. And so they had to basically take care of it. And if you're the invading army, you had to go by the roads road, lead to Thyatira and go through Thyatira. So uh, every military conquest had to go through Thyatira. So then they would try and beat it. If they were beat back, well, obviously they'd pound the city. So then the host... City that it protected would have to go and help them rebuild it. And then once they rebuild it, it was okay until it got attacked again. So you kind of see what it was. It was a funnel thing. Um, now, uh, as far as religion goes, prophetically, the Thyatira Church represents the papal or Roman Catholic era. Uh, this is the period of time referred to usually as the Middle Ages. Uh, The single act that begins this era was in 538 AD when Emperor Justinian declared the Bishop of Rome, uh, who was a Pope, uh, as a sovereign power after killing off the three powers that opposed him. The official title given was Head of All the Churches and the Corrector of Heretics. Head of All the Churches and the Corrector of heretics that opened the door for the catholic church to persecute any and all that interpreted doctrine differently from them and they used torture and death mainly possession of the word of god was strictly forbidden for the common man if that don't throw up red flags i just don't know what will I mean, when you hide God's word from common man, what, are, what is the message you're sending? And, and I'll tell you what the message is that they're sending. They were basically telling common man that, hey, you can't understand the things of God. Uh, we're the only ones who can tell you what God's trying to tell you. If God all through the Old Testament had to go and find all these people in the wilderness and speak to them one-on-one, don't you think he'd be able to talk to these people today? I think so. I think he could find a way. So he does not need a funnel to tell people what he's trying to say. Um, That's just not the way it is. Now, the significance of their coinage. Now, we talked about their coinage uh, in in the last episode, but we're going to talk about the significance of it now. And everybody likes to make coinage that uh, shows some kind of uh, symbology. I guess the best way to put it. Now, the religion of an ancient city always represents the city's character, okay? Now, while Thyatira's history is not well documented, her coins do actually reveal much about the city. Most of their coins portray their chief god, Terimnos. Now, remember, some say that the name Thyatira came from the Lydian uh, uh, name Teremnos, which was a Lydian god. Uh, he was believed to be the son of Zeus and was often called son of God. As the son of Zeus, he would be the equal in Greek mythology to Apollo, who was the Greek mythology son God. He was represented by rays of light and had brass feet. Okay? In verse 18, here, unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things hath the son of God, Who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. That is not put in there by mistake. And there can be no mistake that Jesus is outright uh, targeting this worship of this God. He's basically saying, you have a simple choice to make. You either follow that Son of God, or you follow this Son of God. But you're not going to follow both. <laughs> it's just not how it's going to work. And, 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 and how the coinage comes in. Now, the function. Their function. First of all, uh, there is a coin I'm looking at here, which depicts Tyremnos uh, 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 riding on horseback. Uh, this was a military colony, as you know. And so this god riding on horseback was a picture of strength. Uh, he is also shown carrying a battle axe, uh, which is symbolic of a conqueror. Um, so, basically, to show this coin in other cities was to represent their military might in the area. <laughs> and and it kind of strikes me as funny because you remember uh, Thyatiros, I don't know about the military might, but uh, they were that funnel. Remember, everything goes through Thyatiros. I don't know about their power, I'd, I'd be kind of, hey, just leave us alone and let us do our own thing. <laughs> um, their friendship and favor. Uh, now, there's another coin here that I'm looking at that betic, uh, betics, it depicts uh, two individuals shaking a hand. Um, and, and some other things going on. We'll, t- we'll talk about it. But uh, one here, it, it depicts the Roman emperor uh, Elagabalus dressed as a Roman general, shown with his right hand in that of uh, the god Teremnos, of course, who is also depicted with that um, battle axe. Okay, so he's shaking hands, which show they're in agreement. And above their hands, there is a pot or an urn there. And above the urn, there are um, some Greek letters, of course, which spell out the word pythia, a Pythia, and and this urn, as it is, is a normal symbol of the gymnastic and other competitive sports in which the Hellenistic cities especially delighted, so it's kind of a sports thing, okay, and that word Pythia symbolizes that the Thyatiran games were modeled after the Pythian games of Greece, so they wanted to connect to their homage, uh, uh, to the original games there in Greece, And, and where these guys are shaking hands, below where they're shaking hands, uh, there's an altar on fire. There's a a altar on fire, uh, which shows a uh, symbolic of the dual honor of emperor and God. So you've got the emperor shaking hands with the God, and you've got this altar on fire underneath it, and it shows their dual dual honor there of the emperor and God. Okay, and, and so all this coinage stuff. Uh, let's see. There's some more. Uh, there's four different ones, I think. As a matter of fact, yeah. Uh, The third one is uh, called the Thyatyrin bronze smith. Thyatyrin bronze smith. Now, the divine smith, Hephaestus, dressed as a workman, uh, is shown on this coin seated at an anvil. uh, And uh, he's holding in his left hand a pair of forceps. And he's given the finishing blow with his hammer to a helmet for which the goddess of war, Pallas, Athena, is holding out in her hand, (laughs) okay, so, uh, let's see, Uh, the idea behind this coin uh, was to show that uh, Teremnos was not the original god, he did not originate with the conquerors of the city, rather the city was a home of this god before it was founded or populated by Seleucus, I guess what the, you know, what they're saying is Teremnos was the original god, but but when these other conquerors come in, uh, such as the Greeks, uh, they would you know bring their gods and all that sort of. So uh, the fusion is represented by several factors here, where all these things are melded together. The, of course, the newcomers brought their own gods. The successful battles fought under these specific gods would gain powers and and followers. So whoever. Uh, you know, let's fight this battle for this god. You know, and if they won, um, it was popular. If not, he was not popular. Uh, but the full name of of the god depicted on this coin here was uh Helios, Teramneos, Pythios, Apollo. So you kind of see, I mean, it conjoins one, two, three, all four gods into one name. So it this name represented the original Anatolians. It represented the Greeks. And it represented a military garrison, all in one. So, while he's never named on any coin, uh, his titles are listed. Uh, Propolis, uh, and city being a suburb, uh, he had his temple in the front of the city, thus expanding and protecting the city. Uh, Propator, which was an ancestor, as the divine ancestor, he was the father of both the city as well as all inhabitants. Uh, And then the name uh, Helios, or Apollos, which is the Greek God of Son, so he was all-knowing and all-hearing. So all these coins um, had many meanings behind them. And sometimes it was subversive. Sometimes it was uh, a a great honorable thing, you know, that they brought out. But um, that was the coinage that they used. Okay, so that's kind of the history behind what's going on. All right, so so now we'll get into the actual message uh, to this church and, and what Christ is talking about here in this letter. All right, in this message itself uh, to the church, it's divided into um, three sections here. I had to break it out, (laughs) find it because it's so long. All right, the message to the city is in three parts. The first part uh, is verses 18 and 19, and that is what the Lord detected about this church. What the Lord detected about this church. Uh, The second one is verses 20 through 23. This is what the Lord detested about this church. What the Lord detested about this church. And then the third group, or third section as it is, verse 24 through 29, uh, what the Lord determined about this church. What the Lord determined about this church. And under the uh, first uh, section here, what the Lord uh, detected about his church uh, he is going to cover uh, two things. First one is what he emphasized about his person, verse 18. What he emphasized about his person, in verse 18. And then in verse 19, what he emphasized about his people. So we'll talk about that. So what he emphasized, first of all, in his person. Uh, that first statement, he makes these things Seth, the son of God. Now, the first time the name of the speaker is referred to, uh, none of the other letters did that. Okay, all other instances only mentioned uh, as an attribute of him. Uh, But this, it's directly saying, hey, this is what the Son of God says. (laughs) Not even doubting where the letter comes from. Uh, This is actually the longest letter written uh, to the most insignificant church. The verbiage shows the severity of the subject. Again, uh, some of these letters were only a few uh, verses long, but this, this is a long one. And in my personal opinion here, we we see uh, right off in verse 22, um, where he's like putting the hammer down. But then right at the end, he said, except they repent of their deeds Um, and, and, and things of that nature. It's like this was the greatest period of of grace. It's like God gave them more of an opportunity than some of these others that he did. And of course, I know the, the, our current church age, uh, we're being shown far more grace than than I think is dealt out in any of the others. It just seems like, that, again, this is the first letter of of, of, of any substance that, that's a negative, uh, a danger going on in this church. And it seems like I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's the longest letter to the most insignificant church. You know, the church was, it was a lax church. Yeah, I gave you the titles of all of these uh, churches, I think, at one time. Uh, Ephesus was uh, a love lost church or a backslidden church. Um, Smyrna was the lambasted church or persecuted church. Uh, Pergamos was uh, the licentious Lys- church. Uh, and Thyatira was a lax church. The next one, Sardis, if you want to go ahead and get them all, I make sure I give them all to you. Uh, Sardis was a lethargic church. Uh, Philadelphia was a loving church, a loving church. And then you get to Laodicea, and it was known as a lukewarm church. Lukewarm church. So this was the lax church. (laughs) Alright? Now, the following two descriptions are how the Thyatyrans portrayed their god, Teremnos. And we mentioned that, and it says who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. Now, flaming eyes are symbolic of two things. One, the degree of anger against the sin going on here. <laughs> angry eyes. And I'm thinking of uh, what is it, Toy Story the Mr. Potato Head? When his wife tells him, "Said, put on your angry eyes. I mean, that's the funny part of it. but This is a very serious thing. Uh, but, you know, when I hear that about the angry eyes, that's is what I think of. But anyway, uh, yeah, he, he is very angry with what's going on here. And if you go back through the whole Old Testament, um, there are significant things that stand out. You know, uh, one thing that God really has an issue with is an unthankful person. If you whine and complain, all the time. Uh, God has an issue with that. But the thing I think that makes him more jealous is when you worship someone other than him. God says of himself, I am a jealous God. So here they are uh, introducing all these other gods in there, and and God is angry because he's a jealous God. Uh, The second thing it's uh, symbolic of is the awful penetrating power, which seemed. Uh, which sees through every disguise right into man's innermost heart. And, and many times the, the things that we do, we think God doesn't see, uh, but he's letting them ro- right up front with those flaming eyes. He He is all seeing and all knowing. He knows what's going on. Uh, and then that other statement there about the feet uh, are like fine brass. Brass is symbolic of divine righteousness in judgment. Divine righteousness In judgment, and that is telling us right up front that this judgment, as well as all judgment, always begins in the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God. Uh, Now the second thing, what he emphasized about his people, and there are uh, three parts to that. The subject of works, the sharpening of works, And the searching for worship. So there's the subject of works, the sharpening of works, and then the searching for worship. Alright, so the subject of works. He says in that verse right at the beginning there, uh, I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience. Um, this, This shows the five stages of a Christian's maturity. Number five is of course, the number of grace. Grace equals favor or, or means grace means favor or kindness shown without regard to the worth or merit of the one who receives it and in spite of what that person deserves. okay? Now let's talk about these um, stages of a Christian's maturity. The first thing it mentions is works and, and that represents the newborn. Uh, the Greek word here is ergon, E-R-G-O-N, ergon. It means to toil or to work as an effort or occupation. By implication, an act. A newborn Christian will naturally work from the automatic overflow of a heart filled with new life. The focus is on identifying a task and acting on it. And, and basically what that means is, is uh, as newborn Christians, they're on fire they just want to do something. They don't know what to do, but they want to do something. So anytime someone says, hey, I need help doing it, they, they're the ones that get on it first. So that that represents those works of a newborn. Uh, the second stage is charity, uh, which represents the age of a little child. Charity. And that is shown in the Greek word agape. Agape. Uh, this is the peculiar love one member of the body of christ expresses toward the other in this stage one moves from merely serving God to being a beneficial member the focus moves from identifying a task to being available to help with any task okay uh, the third stage is service and this is of a uh represents a young adult service represents a young adult and this is the Greek word, diaconia. Uh, diaconia. D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A. Diaconia, D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A, diakonia. the act of attendance of, as of a servant, uh, ministering to another through an act of aid. Uh, the result of works where charity has been applied. With works, the task was the focal point, but with service the beneficiary becomes the focus, okay, so basically what it's saying is that you're focusing on, uh, who you're doing the works for, helping out a brother, helping out a sister, so it's not on what can be done, but it's just doing it and focusing on who needs help, who who needs it to be done, um, fourth stage is faith, uh, this represents a full-grown adult, faith, full-grown adult, this is uh, represent uh, the Greek word uh, uh, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, and it means a personal confidence in God, a personal confidence in God, and that's represented in five things. Number one, who he is. Number two, what he does. Number three, when he moves. Number four, where he is at. And number five, why he he is those are the five things that that a, that a, an adult christian understands and has per- personal confidence in god we may not know when he moves but we do know that he does move and sometimes we can recognize when he moves we don't know why he moves when he moves but we do know that he does move <laughs> okay the mature adult readily applies faith and that's talked about in hebrews 11:1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Now, there are two important factors dealing with this faith, uh, and it's mentioned in that verse there, the substance of things hoped for. The substance there is the foundation. Substance is, is the foundation. That's what you're basing it on. Hoped for is an expectation of an as yet unrevealed reality, and I have that phrase written in the front of my Bible. We use the word hope all the time. Well, I hope he shows up on time. Well, I hope that... Money comes in today. Well, I hope he saw that, or I hope this, I hope that. But this is a different kind of hope that we Christians have in God. This is a different kind of hope. This hope is defined as an expectation of an as yet unrevealed reality. This is not a dream. This is not a, 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 an emotion of... um wishing that something would happen this is a fact we know but we just haven't partaken of it yet we know it's there we know it's real and we know it's coming we just don't know when it's coming so that's what it's talking about there it's evidence uh uh, the substance of things hoped for the second part of it is the evidence of things not seen evidence is proof i know in my heart i know in my heart i'm saved why do i know in my heart because God told me that he that He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And that all we have to do is that in the fact that it's a gift of God is we have to have faith in him. How do you have faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the response even when there is no action. Faith keeps the wheels in motion. So there's that. Okay, that deals with the faith. That's the fourth stage. Uh, the fifth and final stage of a Christian's maturity uh, is mentioned by that word patience, and that represents the elders, the elders. Uh, this is the Greek word hypomone, uh, hypomone, and that is H-Y-P-O-M-O-N-E. I say hypomone, but the pronunciation part of it says one, H-Y-P-O-M-O-N-E. Upomone, which means the ability to remain calm in the face of suffering and or adversity. Endurance. (laughs) That's that's great. And there's a a quote uh, from a lady called Barbara Johnson. And, And it's funny, but I think it fits perfectly well here. And the quote is, Patience is the ability to idle your motor, when all you want to do is strip the gears, <laughs> end quote. I think that is so funny. And that is great. And that is a perfect representative of what we do. I, I'm, I'm not at that level yet. I, I mean, I do show patience sometimes, but I don't show patience all the time. There are times when I like to strip them gears. <laughs> uh, another uh, example, on and, I, and I've seen... Uh, examples of this portions of it written a different way on many church signs but but it nails it right in the head and and it, it's a guy by the name of keith uh Noche, i guess it's how you pronounce it. k-n-o-c-h-e is his last name keith Nosh. could be keith Knotch. i don't know but his quote is and i quote lord give me patience but hurry up <laughs> end quote that's great love give me patience but hurry up i've i've seen that on church signs um our finest example in the Bible is in Hebrews twelve, one through 3, when it talks about this. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So what that's telling us there is patience is the realization that God never hurries, but neither is he ever late. Patience is the realization that God never hurries, but neither is he ever late. And isn't that the challenge? We always panic, thinking, God, you have waited too long, or God, you didn't show up. And God is saying, hey, I'm on the way, I'm on schedule, it's not time for me to be there yet. Okay, so that is talking about the subject of works. Now, the second part of that is the sharpening of works. The sharpening of works. And in in that, we see that uh, in that phrase he uses there, thy works and the last to be more than the first. Thy works and the last to be more than the first. Works are mentioned again. Is this a different kind of of works? You, You know, verse 19 says, I know thy works charity, service, faith, and the patience. Then he says, and thy works. So, mentions it twice. So, is this a different kind? No, it is just that the quantity and the quality have been increased so that these works are better than those done at the first. Remember, that first works represented the babe, the newborn Christians. So, this is better. Uh, And James Knox has a quote on that, uh, which fits. And I'll read it. I'll quote it. It says, uh, quote, working. For the Lord is good. Working like the Lord is far better. And that you gain that by growth. Working for the Lord is good, but working like the Lord is far better. Uh, note that these latter works it issued in the Reformation period. And again, remember the period of time here is from the 500 to 1500 AD period. Uh, it is the age when the Roman Catholics took uh a surge, I guess I would say, uh, the Roman Catholic religion took off, but then in that time also there was the Reformation period. Uh, people, uh, the, the King James Bible uh, was not quite out yet, but there were guys like Erasmus and some of the other guys who were translating the Bible in languages people could read, and when people were getting their hands on the Word of God, and understanding what it said, they were fighting against the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. That's exactly what they were doing. They were fighting because they knew they were being lied to. That's what it came down to. They knew they were being lied to. And the things that that Roman Catholic Church was telling them uh, come from God. They knew from reading it straight out of the Bible that there was no such thing as what they were telling them. All right. Now, the third thing is the searching for worship. The searching for worship. Now, uh, what's going on here is there should be a warning not to misinterpret the focus on works too much. Uh, and, and many people have done that. Uh, we get so focused on the work itself that we forget what we're working for. And, and he's basically telling them there, hey, the, the works are important. The works are necessary. The works are good. But keep in mind what the works are for. It's, it's not about you know, look at all the programs our church does. Look look at all the program uh look at all the success rate we've had. Um it's not about that. It it how many people are being saved or, or how many people are, are staying in the church. Uh it's not just so much about being saved. People can write their name down and say they're being saved all the time. Uh but it it takes time uh to realize whether or not it's sunk in or not, whether it was real. It's not just a profession. It's an inward work, not an outward work. It's not an expression. So there's a danger, again, in putting too much focus on works. Um, remember that in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, the Lord said, come, before he told them to go, again in Matthew 28, 19. He told them to come, then he told them to go. And a classic example of that is in Luke chapter 10. If you'll flip over there, I'm going to read that. I kind of jumped ahead. That may have been why I got scatterbrained a little bit, but I was flipping pages while I was trying to concentrate on my notes here. Luke chapter 10, all the way at the end of the chapter. It's 42 verses, so we're going right to the end. And it's talking here, uh, if you have a Schofield Bible, I have a Schofield Bible. Not, not that I'm a champion fan of his, but it's one of the better ones okay. I'm not going to even say it's the best. I'll I'll say it's a better one. There's many, but it's a King James Bible, okay? Original uh well, it's not a sixteen eleven version, but it's it, uh, anyway. Okay, but the title here over the it says Martha and Mary in contrast, and, and that's what it's talking about. Or, again, remember the focus is not on the works, but what the works are for, meaning for Christ. Okay. Verse thirty-eight. Luke chapter ten, verse thirty eight. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he, being Jesus, entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And that's the Christian problem today. One thing's needful. We, we're so wrapped up in all this other stuff, we forget the one most important thing, and that is the good part. <laughs> it's him. Don't forget him. <laughs> okay? Uh. The worker Martha, what we see here uh, it pictured is this worker Martha versus the worshipper Mary. Martha invited Jesus over, then focused on the elaborate meal and was all busy about while Mary sat at his feet and was listening to him. So it does pose an interesting question. Now obviously we've seen Jesus' response to it. But it's an interesting question here. Was Martha wrong? Yes and no is the correct answer. <laughs> uh work that is done for Jesus is a good thing, remember? But there must be a balance of both the work and the worship. The work and the worship. And I've seen an example of that in our our very own church where um, uh, we have a a children's church. And I don't know if it originally started that way, but but there was a time when it was always the same people back there teaching the children's church. And our pastor came to him and said, look, uh, you need to rotate that because y'all don't always need to be back here doing all the work. You need to be out in the congregation every now and then and worshiping. So th- that, there it is. You can't always be doing the work. There has to be worship involved. <clears throat> now, notice the three phrases in verse 40 uh, of what Martha is saying. There's, there's three phrases and it represents three emotions, basically. Uh anxiety abandonment and advice anxiety abandonment and advice The only reason i bring this up is i believe this is important now notice she said lord lord dost thou not care she is at the exact anxiety you can see it she's tired and she's been doing all this work and, and she's looking and mary's sitting in her feet and she says hey lord do you not care she's blaming jesus she's blaming jesus 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Remember, that's the passage we used earlier, talking about those five keys there. Um, She's tired, and in being tired, she gets a little upset, and she's blaming Jesus here. All right, the second thing, the second statement, she says, My sister hath left me to serve alone. That's abandonment. So not only was she blaming Jesus with the first statement, here she goes to bashing Mary. Quite frankly, you could spin this statement around and it would be true that Mary did leave and was the one serving Jesus alone. (laughs) She was the only one actually serving Jesus. Matthew 4.4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We should not put physical needs in front of spiritual needs. This whole thing is a spiritual, it's all a spiritual thing. So that is the key element in everything we do. It's all about the spirit. We have to take care of the spirit first. Okay. Third thing, bid her therefore that she help me. She's trying to get, uh, give, Christ some advice on <laughs> the right thing to do. She was bettering herself here. John fifteen one through five, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. This passage defeats every argument for works on their own, getting you into heaven. It just doesn't work. You can't do it on your own. Alright, that covers the first thought there about, uh, uh, yeah, where am I at? What the Lord Detected About His Church. What the Lord Detected About His Church. Um, We're going to pick up on the next one, next episode. What the Lord Detested About His Church. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. And I'll uh, hopefully hear or hopefully you'll hear me (laughs) next time uh, on the next episode. Again, thank you for listening, and God bless you.